Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Thanks for joining in for concept four. Today's concept is coffee. I'm here with Jeremy Bullman. Jeremy's a great friend of mine. He's one of the founders of Hatchet Coffee here in Boone, North Carolina. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for joining me for this. I'm super excited. I've learned a lot about coffee from you, and I want more people to learn from you as well. So some of the stuff we're going to go over to some people might be really basic and elementary, but a lot that I've learned from you was not basic and elementary. It was super cool. I had no clue that there was so much to learn about coffee. And so let's start with this question, though. Uh, what is Hatchet Coffee? Sure. Hatchet Coffee is first a roasting company. That's how we started. Uh, two bread bakers who enjoyed coffee and was interested in starting a local business. So we just used our connections through the bakery to roast coffee for wholesale accounts. About a year and a half later, we got the opportunity to move next to Center 45 Climbing Gym mm -hmm. and start a retail shop. So I would say second, we're a retail coffee shop. And then um, finally, we do online sales through our website. So mm -hmm. we're, we're a pretty well-rounded coffee company in terms of our product. And uh, we've got a team of about... 13 people right now yeah. so and growing there's just something about hatchet too and i can't quite put my finger on what it is because i mean i know enough about coffee just my taste buds know i can tell the difference between a good coffee and a bad coffee let's mm -hmm. say and you know i know there's dark roast and light roast and you can get super snobby about it or whatever but like i know good coffee versus bad coffee but let's just let's just give everybody the benefit of the doubt and say there's a lot of good coffee and there's even a lot of roasters and coffee shops all around that would have good stuff like why do you think it is that i'm not alone in this thought why do you think that there are so many people that think hatchet is really legit and it's great like um, keeping in mind there's plenty of good coffee so it was pretty interesting because our town has a lot of coffee well i think we're the sixth coffee roaster in mm -hmm. boone so we're pretty late to the game in terms of market share and uh experience but the, the root of the reason we started Hatchet is because we tasted something that you might be trying to describe mm -hmm. from coffees coming from California. Hmm. So a lot of the showmanship of those coffees was around manual brewing and using all different kinds of brewing equipment and brewing by the cup. So we thought that was the difference. Um, and then eventually figured out it was actually a difference in bean and mm -hmm. roast style. And we really felt like that was missing from our market because traditionally it was a very dark roast market. Mm -hmm. And um, the flavor profiles that were popular here were chocolate, deep caramels, roastiness, bitterness. Mm -hmm. And for us, being a young company with a lot of young people pretty connected to the local college scene and working with a lot of young people, we just knew that we needed something closer to what they were doing out west which is really about a fruit-forward coffee, um, some citrusy flavors, floral notes, reminiscent of tea, um, but really just that challenge and that adventure of tasting coffee that kind of defied the expectation that it had to be super bitter mm -hmm. and roasty. Gosh, that's so cool. So two things I want to talk about later mm -hmm. is the light roast and all, this, all the flavor things and the fruit-forward and what yeah. you even mean by that. But before we get into that, 
How about you? Who are you? So we got Hatchet Coffee, but who are you and why does this mean so much to you? Yeah, so um, I'm pretty normal guy. Um, my background, uh, schooling-wise, was art. I was a studio major, um, focused in pottery and ceramics. Mm -hmm. I went to a, a small liberal arts school in Kentucky called Berea. It's a work-study college. Uh, so pretty early on, just from professional development standpoint, was heavily focused on, you know, making an impact on the world, using my hands to do that, being artis um, an artisanal worker yeah. instead of a factory worker, um, being exposed to roots community and um, community-driven lifestyle and living. So a lot of that stuff was baked in pretty early just and that's before it was level. really hip to say those words, too. Yeah, it really was. Um, I graduated in 05. Mm -hmm. um, it was becoming normal to walk around with a laptop. And we made fun of people that had cell phones because it was, it was like, why do you need a cell phone? Everybody you know is right here. Oh, yeah. That's and so uh, good. Facebook was still like invite only. Yeah. Um, but very early. People still don't know what Facebook was at the time. Yeah. So at any rate, yeah, it was definitely before all those buzzwords were big. I think I ended up at Berea, though, because I come from a really big family. I've got a blended family uh, with eight sisters and two brothers. So even from like a really deep level, being community-oriented and having to work with a lot of different people and, um, and just also feeling uh, the emotional and spiritual benefits of being surrounded by so many people, um, I didn't really grow up in a way that was super isolated. So I think it set me up on a tra trajectory to want to be surrounded by great people and do things as a group. Mm -hmm. So, and what, which is really, I think, a good fit with coffee culture. Yeah, totally. And I also think it's why we ended up in Boone because we yeah. moved around quite a bit before we landed here, and right away. Um, when we got integrated into the community, it was literally the best place that I'd ever lived. Mm -hmm. And I would still say that today, 10 years later, and yeah. don't really see going anywhere else. Right. And I know there's fantastic towns and cities all over, and I'm biased, but I feel that way too. I, I just know so many phenomenal people. Right. And that's not even to mention the outdoor scene. Yeah, just true. if you're alone, it's still fun. But I, I don't want to be alone. You know, I want right. to be in community. So there's just so many people and um, so many beautiful perspectives. So why, why coffee? Why did you want to pursue coffee with that background that you told me about? Mm -hmm. So I, since, gosh, middle school, had been obsessed with the idea of having my own business. Part of it is because I'm stubbornly independent and I don't do well with rules and being held accountable. Um, so working for other people was always kind of a pain point. I felt like I would always excel because I would always try to look at something different and make it better. But as soon as I felt like I was either running into a difference in management or business model or um, I just was tired of the actual work because it became monotonous, mm -hmm. I would move on. So for me, the answer was, well, I've just got to do what I love and make that my career. Um, so we actually ran through tons and tons of ideas. Um, we started a company that was uh, kind of a craft company. And 
that did well. We mostly focused on Christmas time and making money on the side. Uh, it was basically me and my wife at home after work making all kinds of Christmas ornaments. And while at the time we didn't necessarily think that was going to become our career, it kind of set us up to develop a product line, figure out how to start a business, um, sell product, and try to make a profit. Mm -hmm. So after that, I really had um, focused on baking bread and found a real passion. And at the time was I just needed a job but had discovered that bread had a really deep connection to my pottery roots. Yeah. And it was essentially the same exact craft. It's just, uh, you got to see the whole process every single night and oh. every single day it would sell out. That's so um, cool. And then of course you're eating great bread the entire time. There's something so cool about the, the treating the making of bread, which is, I guess, a symbol of just a staple item to be al to stay alive, just like right. basics, but to have it be an artisanal process and right. be a craft for, it's like this an art form for a basic thing. And I think about that exactly. when I go in and Dom makes me some drink and I'm, I'm more of an Americano or espresso guy, but sometimes I order the fancy ones and right. he makes this gorgeous thing and it's art that lasts for like 45 seconds right? and yet it still matters. Well, there's a, there's a level of... I don't know what to call it. Maybe uh, ridiculousness to it. Yeah, yeah. Because you're talking about a guy that's dedicated over a year of his professional life to mastering that technique. Yeah. For something that lasts for less than thirty seconds. But but it's a combination of art and you know some people if they're not into the arts they say well what value does it really have right does, what does it give you but then it's also either with bread or with coffee it's still a product that you're consuming and so right. it still has a I guess you could say practical value to it. Some would say you don't really need coffee. Uh, the addicts out there would say, yes, of course you do. But it's a healthy part of life and rhythm, not just art. Right. And it takes, I guess, years for that thing to get to that moment. Right. And yet it's art and community and sustenance, if you will. For sure. And he's doing that and presenting it. It makes me think of, um, there's an artist named Andy Goldsworthy yeah. who creates art that's purposefully temporary. Yeah, his stuff's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah, if you're if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, Google Andy Goldsworthy and look up some of his stuff. And so, uh, coffee. Let's go uh, talk more about the bean. So yes. So when I first heard you talk about light roast versus dark roast, I assumed that meant dark would be you roast it longer. It made me think. Well. Starbucks is more of that burned taste. No mm -hmm. offense out there to Starbucks or Starbucks lovers, but I just, you know, it was more burned. Does light mean less burned? Like what does light roast mean yeah. other than just you don't roast it as long? So kind of going back to my experience with baking, mm -hmm. um, I use a toaster oven at home. Some people just use a regular toaster, but if you've had any experience on a toaster oven, uh, the concept is very similar. So as a baker, we are baking 15 breads, uh, different breads to sell each day. So we might have just a regular white bread, a wheat bread, a sourdough bread. Um, we might have a bread with uh, some butter and milk in it, a brioche or a milk bread. Um, and then maybe even like a different grain like spelt. So you've got five or six breads there. You put them all in the toaster oven. 
And if you just gently toast them, it starts to affect the texture and the flavor. And the deeper and the longer you go, the more of the caramelly toasted flavors you get. Mm. And each of those different breads gives you a different taste experience. The wheat will have different flavor than the sourdough. And a lot of that gets enhanced as it's toasting. But if you toast all of those until all the breads are completely black, six different breads taste exactly the same. Uh-huh. And it's the same with coffee. So we can get coffees from different origins, different varietals, different, uh, different processing methods. And if we roast them all to their darkest form, you won't be able to tell that those coffees were any different to begin with. Which, in, in, if you looked at it in a positive way, it's going to be consistently tasting no matter which Starbucks you pull over. At, it will taste the same. So some people interpret that as good thing. You know what you're getting. Right. But maybe you can also interpret it as not ideal. Well, the other thing is in some situations you love that really deep roasty flavor because you want to add a lot of caramel, a lot of milk, and really create a new beverage that isn't yeah. strictly coffee. It's right. coffee with other ingredients. So mm -hmm. yes, there's definitely a culinary advantage to roasting yeah, to that yeah. level. But if you just want to taste what coffee tastes like, yeah. and you want to see all of that potential that a coffee can give you as a beverage, then you really have got to drink just the coffee. Mm. And if you're going to really maximize that, you've got to bring back the roast and roast to a lighter, lower temperature and start to taste the nuances very much similar to wine or beer mm. and just tasting the different um, opportunities for flavor based on how you roast it. So let's talk more about flavor. Can you teach us a little bit, even though, you know, you don't have visual aids here, but teach us how can we taste coffee? How can yeah. we know certain notes? Is it only the power of suggestion or is there some real stuff going on here? Yeah. So the first thing I like to start people off with is if you don't taste it, there's nothing wrong with you because <laughs> yes. over and over people tell me like, Oh, I really don't taste all these different things. My palate or I'm not smart enough or my palate's not developed enough on a, on a level. Yes, that's true. You don't have experience tasting, but there's nothing wrong with your tongue. Mm -hmm. If you drink coffee and it tastes like coffee and you don't taste some wild Jasmine flower, your, your opinion is completely valid. Mm -hmm. And we all have these different experiences, whether it's bread or beer or wine or chocolate. We all have a different enough palate that we taste different things. Mm -hmm. So when you do start tasting, first you have to have the right quality. So if you don't have the properly roasted product that's mm -hmm. fresh to begin with, sure. then you're less likely to taste the nuance because those nuances fade over time. And then you also need to have contrast. So it doesn't really serve anybody just to taste one coffee at a time. Hmm. So if you're wanting to think deeply about coffee and have a flavor experience, it really does pay to go to a coffee shop or to a coffee tasting and taste them side by sides with very contrasting uh, coffees. Mm. Then you start to recognize that when you do sit down on your Saturday morning relaxation cup of coffee and you can start to pull out those notes. Wow. But you really need something to contrast that against. Um, the other thing that really helps when we host a tasting is sometimes we'll put out the tasting notes that we taste. So if we taste some lime in there, then we have some fresh cut lime. So you can smell that 
and then go to the coffee and taste and try to compare and contrast whether right. that's there or not. Um, all of that really helps, but it it starts with just kind of getting plugged in to the producers and the yeah. people roasting the coffee and then asking to be shown. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I do want to relieve everybody in yeah. that generally speaking, coffee tastes like coffee. Yeah. And and <laughs> I, I like that you let us off the hook there and like our, we can just enjoy it. We don't have to get all into this and think that we're doing something wrong if we're not you know, tasting the same thing. But let, let's use the lime example. Let's say you guys determine this sort of as a lime and then uh, like a lime note. Is that the right phrase? Yeah, totally. And then let's say I sip it and I go, oh, I got um, a little bit of like a um, pine tree thing, yeah. in it, right? But I don't get any lime. Is there a way to determine who is right or is that not how I'm supposed to say it? Um, <laughs> no, I definitely think there's the subjective. Right. And everybody's having a personal experience with what yeah, they're yeah. tasting. Very valid. I also have no idea what you spent your morning eating, uh-huh. or where you spent your time, or what you had the night before, and, okay. and what chemically is going on on your tongue. So it could be, you're right, you are tasting pine, and it's because right. something you ate yesterday. Could be. Well, it could be. Yeah. Um, what what we've kind of realized as we've tasted a lot of coffees with a lot of different people, mm-hmm. is you do generally start to build consensus around certain words. Uh-huh. And so I think as a group, we can experience coffee and decide, is this a fruit-forward coffee? Yeah. Citrus? floral, uh, roast, um, caramel, chocolate. And so you can build consistency around that. That gives you the feeling of like, that was correct tasting note. But the more and more specific you get on those tasting notes, you're really starting to define a personal experience versus the actual experience. The consensus words. Yeah. And then, and then I guess if there's a whole panel of people that all get that, this is a fruit forward, then that's sort of the right if someone goes, this is not fruit forward, but right. then 10 other people have decided it is, I guess it probably is. Correct. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion. And yeah. the other experience I like to share with people is we have certain coffees that we keep all the time that are very blueberry forward. They, when you grind them, they smell like blueberry cobbler. When you taste them, it tastes like blueberry juice. A lot of those coffees come from Ethiopia. And what's really fascinating is if you go to Ethiopia... There are no blueberries. Mm-hmm. So if you were to have a discussion with an Ethiopian farmer about his delicious coffee that tastes like blueberries, um, not that he hasn't traveled or doesn't know fruits of the world, but as they a tasting note, right. he's not eating blueberries every June like we are. Uh-huh. So he's not going to agree with us on that tasting note. Interesting. And so a lot of us are having that experience as well. So you could say, okay, I wonder if... Let's just say everyone had the ability to taste correctly and right. all in a circle. You and the guy from Ethiopia might be tasting the exact same thing, but you don't have the same words to use to describe what it is. Exactly. Or the same experiences um, exactly. to put to those words in the conversation. Yeah, so that even fascinates that me. That is amazing. About to me. like trying to put tasting notes to market a certain coffee. You might, like, if nobody's ever had, like, some very specific green tea from Japan because I spent a, a summer there one time mm-hmm. and tasted it, then... You have that to pull from. Nobody's going to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Or wanted to even buy that or connect with it. And I love I love that in life, and I think coffee's an example, but I want to 
expand and talk about how this is more about people than it is about coffee. Mm -hmm. But let's use coffee as an example. I'd love for you to tell us some stories because I think that trying to understand someone else that maybe you have some similar thoughts and opinions, but you have different vocabulary of how to say it. So like with the Ethiopian, the blueberry thing, um, tell us some stories about these farmers sure, and how they're growing the coffee and the kind of beans that you buy and the difference between the kind of beans you buy versus other options you have why that matters a for coffee and why that matters B for people and relationships. Yeah. So, um, I will start by saying we're very young at our industry and in our craft. So we're learning. I just took my first origin trip a few weeks ago. What does origin trip mean? Origin is basically all coffee comes from 20 degrees above and 20 degrees below the equator. So oh. you're really around that middle belt of the globe oh. in terms of where high quality coffee is grown. Mm. Um, you can't just go anywhere in the U.S. and start growing coffee. You have to have the right climate and uh, good soil and high elevation. And so most of those are going to be those countries around the equator. So for us, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, we're going to the origin of the coffee. So we call those origin trips. Okay. So uh, I spent four days in Mexico, four days in Guatemala, um, visiting the producers who not only grow the coffee, but process the coffee and take it from uh, fruit and turn it into a coffee bean. Mm-hmm. So that experience for me, and especially in terms of what I've found to be the, the creative fun part of having a coffee business is we spend so much time focused on developing community here in Boone and creating a product that would bring people together and get people excited. Mm-hmm. We're so kind of soaked in that, and we do it all day, every day, trying to figure out how to do that better. Yeah. And then what happens when we take our experience here that's so personal and creative and dependent on the community that surrounds us And we go back to the place where that coffee actually came from. And so that really kind of skews our vision for what we want to see happening there. Mm -hmm. The first thing is we go and we watch and we listen and we ask questions and we observe. And we're really trying to understand what they are doing. So, uh, for example, coffee is a cherry. It's grown on an evergreen tree. But it doesn't have needles. It's got leaves. Um, Those trees can be a shrub that comes up to your knees. And it can go way over your head like a large tree. Um, The differences in the coffees start where they're grown and what kind of varietal. So same as tomatoes, we have big boys and Cherokee purples and cherry tomatoes. All these different varietals of tomatoes. It's the same with coffee. Mm. So you've got certain varietals and certain origins, and then depending on the soil that they're grown in, how the, the tree is developed and cared for, how the fertilizer takes place, how, um, how the climate does that year, it all impacts quality. And then once the farmers kind of nurtured that to the point of it's ready to harvest, there's a whole nother layer of quality that depends on how they pick the coffee and 
how they uh, process the coffee from being a cherry into a bean, mm -hmm. how they dry it. So there's all these steps along the way mm -hmm. that we've been learning about in terms of like how quality in coffee happens. Yeah, tell, tell that you've told flavor. me this before. Tell me, tell us about the difference in the picking and how that would matter once the final product arrives and it, someone buys it. So uh, what it reminds me of is blueberry season. You go to a U-Pick farm and the, the bushes are loaded with blueberries. And you could definitely make a quick afternoon of it and take home tons of blueberries. So you go to each blueberry tree and you pull off all the blueberries. And then if you look down in your bucket, you're gonna have green blueberries, you're gonna have perfect blueberries, and you're gonna have some that are starting to rot. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to take all that and make a juice out of it, you're gonna have those really like underdeveloped, astringent, dry, raw green flavors. And then you're gonna have those very fermenty, um, kind of rotten flavors mixed in with your natural And it all sort flavors. of evens out to be like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, it's blueberries. And well, and you may even get a product that tastes terrible. Yeah. If you yeah. were to drink that get... blueberry juice. Yeah, yeah. But if you only go in and pick just the perfect ripe blueberries, yeah. no matter what you do with that, whether you're gonna make a juice or a pie or eat them raw, right. You're gonna have a great experience. Yeah. Coffee's the exact same way. Yeah, yeah. You can get underdeveloped cherries, perfect cherries, and overdeveloped cherries. Mm -hmm. And so, if you want to have a high quality experience, then you have got to pick only the perfect uh, cherries. This is a problem from an industry standpoint because the pickers are paid by the pound. Yeah. So they, their incentive is more. Exactly. Even if it's bad. The higher the poundage, the more they're gonna they're gonna make. Right. The quicker that they harvest a farm, the quicker they can move to the next farm and make more opportunity. Mm -hmm. So the more farms you visit in the season and the more pounds you pick determine what your um, what your financial situation may be for the rest of the year. Yeah. And so what's happened as specialty coffee has developed is they're shifting the value proposition and they're retraining how to make money in terms of coffee. And so the, the best farms that we saw are paying pickers only for the, for the perfectly ripe cherries. Hmm. Um, the other thing they're doing is they're upping their pay so they can make more money even though they're bringing in less there coffee. There we go, yeah, incentive. Yep. So they're slowing them down to pick only the ripest cherries. Which goes back to some artisanal kind of living and right. craft living. Exactly. And then um, the other thing they're doing is after they've made their first pass, that's when they're going to pick the most coffee in the shortest amount of time, no matter what. Then they're paying them by the day from that point afterwards. So it doesn't matter if you only pick a little bit of coffee, you're going to make more money than if you were to go and pick somewhere else. Wow. And so they're building in this these quality standards through pay and incentivizing picking better coffees. Is there a, a phrase for this? Like if we bought coffee and we looked on the bag, is that what fair trade means? Or that's not really the fair, same conversation? Fair trade uh, speaks more to the price per pound that oh, okay. a farmer is paid. I see. And that, so is there a phrase for what you're talking about? So if I looked at the bag and I know this is the kind where they got the good beans. There really is no certification for that. Okay. That we're aware of. So just go to hatch it then, and then we're fine. Well, no, uh, for us, what it means is we—that's part of the reason we have to get at origin. Okay. We need, and right now we're in a season of learning, 
So we're not necessarily going down there to dictate what anybody does. We're yeah. very much humbly going down there yeah. to gain knowledge on the process yeah. and to see the difference between the producers and why some producers have very high quality versus others who have a lower quality, which doesn't speak to necessarily the way they're processing the coffee. Mm-hmm. It could be a difference in elevation. It could be a difference in region. But one of the factors is definitely how they're processing it. That's what I love about you is basically you're forever going to be in a season of learning. You're totally. You're, and that you're was, gonna go that was the appeal of coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like you can't get to the bottom of the bucket with coffee. Right. That's there great. are more and more developments. And right now there's this huge new thing called fermentation and everybody's exploring fermentation now as a way to create great flavor in coffee wow so just when you think you've kind of figured it out with coffee new developments come along and i honestly believe everything we know about coffee over the last few hundred years is just the kind of the first step of many many more improvements in coffee as we start to understand the product better yeah that's beautiful because it speaks to the value of those farmers, the value of the, what do you call the people that pick them? We, I call them pickers, pickers or the laborers. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Their value as it being art and it matters and quality, not just, just do it. Right. And well, you know, it also makes me appreciate good coffee because it's not just a whole bunch of coffee that got cooked to within an inch of its life, put some water over it and mix it with some something if you need totally. to as a whole it took it takes a long time and a lot of people to get to the point when when then dom does his magic at the last second to you know it's like the tip of that process the tip of the iceberg so i can see how this has so many implications of of valuing people in the origin places right but can you talk a little bit about how it, this whole process and hatchet's philosophy brings value to people here in boone yeah, so there was a very basic motivation to get hatchet started. So if you can imagine two bread bakers up all night baking bread and making the most of it, definitely enjoying the time, eating delicious bread, working for Stick Boy, which is an awesome company. Mm-hmm. But in those very intense, um, long nights. Yeah. You start to find a creativity is like, all right, this is great and we're happy, but obviously this isn't a long-term strategy to personal fulfillment and building opportunities for, you know, our children and college and retirement and paying for daughter's wedding at night. Yeah. And it's all night. So you spend the rest of the day being a zombie. Zombie. Yeah, totally. And so out of that was birthed, if you could have any job you want, what would it be? Yeah. And we were falling in love with coffee at the time. Uh-huh. So I feel like we designed Hatchet in reaction to not being bread makers and not stick boy, but just that general question, if you could do anything you want, what would you be? So we created this, um, we attempted to create a thing that was an answer to that. Mm-hmm. So as terms of the community we're trying to build here, it did start out of like creating jobs that are awesome and that people want to work at. Right. Um, With that comes, of course, like hopefully above average pay, especially for service work, which is generally low. Right. Um, And part of that was partnering with other great organizations to make that um, 
a better experience. Right. And so very early on, even before we realized we were being intentional about it, we were starting to build this community around this idea of like, if we could have any job, what would we want it to be? Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of came out of that is with the wholesale coffee in the beginning was we needed help because we didn't have any money. And we had relationships. So it was literally going to the people we were selling bread to and creating partnerships. From that, we also had friends um, at the heart, at Wine to Water, at uh, different organizations like WIN mm-hmm. and um, really all the nonprofits around yeah, Ben, so Samaritan's yeah. Purse. Like, yeah. We had these connections just because we all lived together right. and, and worked together. And so it was going to them and saying, hey, what opportunities are there for us to serve you guys? So through that, we were able to create kind of this network and these partnerships mm-hmm. that turned basically our vision for a coffee company into an opportunity for all of us together to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. That could be visitors coming into Boone. That could be people that aren't really in our network. So at any rate, all that to say, just kind of building this community around this kind of business idea and this product. And, um, and in the end, I would say that's the reason we've been able to make any kind of progress is people really believing in what we're doing and wanting to support it. And, um, in return, hopefully us giving them a great experience, maybe tasting coffee differently or coming and having our experience that we train our baristas and are completely committed to of the best possible customer service, um, creating a beautiful space that isn't necessarily, the, the most high-end experience you've ever had, but a very comfortable and cozy experience. Yeah, it doesn't intimidate me to go in like, I don't belong here. It's too elite for me. Right. Well, but it's also high-quality beverage. Yeah. yeah, it's both and for me. It's beneficial. And at the end me. of the day, that no matter who comes into their space, when they leave, they felt better than when they came in. Yeah. So in terms of like how we've been using this to kind of serve and shape the community, that's kind of what we feel like has happened. And our vision is to really understand that better and become better at it. Yeah. Um, So I know you have a lot of goals for expansion and all these other fun things you want to pursue, but do you have a goal? So not specific goals, like in five years we'll mm -hmm. build out this and expand this, but what is the goal of Hatchet? Hmm. I've been (laughs) wrestling with this question for the last three years, especially as things are starting to take off. Yeah. I don't know that I have it summed up in one goal, but there are a few things that I've realized along the way. We live in a mountain community, and that landscape is very important to the quality of community we have mm-hmm. and the kind of people that it draws here. Right. I haven't figured out how to perfectly articulate those people, um, but I know that it's something about the landscape that draws us here. Okay. It would be much easier for a lot of us to go get a nice job in the city, and we don't. Right. So creatively, what I want Hatchet to be is I feel like that's the similar story that's got to be going on in these communities at Origin. Mm -hmm. All of these farmers and their workers could go into the city and get a city-style job. Right. But for some reason, whether it's their long history or their family roots where they just love being outdoors and they love the landscape, 
that they're sticking in the together as a community mm-hmm. to keep doing one of the hardest jobs on earth, which is picking and producing coffee. Yeah. So creatively, I want Hatchet to celebrate our mountain community and the mountain communities that produce the product. Yeah. And make that a thing that's more celebrated because most people think of the coffee shop experience as an urban experience. Right. Uh, totally. And that's great. And it's definitely brought community together in the urban areas. But I think creatively what's left is to celebrate mountain culture and the outdoors and being connected to the land. Yeah. And the type of people that come together over those kinds of things. Oh, that's That's what I want to have to do. (laughs) And also there's a lot of overlap. And as I'm hearing you say this, I'm thinking about my role as a pastor, some of those same things. And, um, mountain culture, community. Have I ever told you a story about the guy in Jamaica that lived up in the mountains? No, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, so it, what you just said made me think of this, and I think it's just so relevant. Um, it's a guy in the mountains of Jamaica, and it was I was on one of those trips where we like helped rebuild houses that got messed up by hurricanes. And he lived up in the mountains, super chill guy, so nice, farmed his land, but didn't really have any money. So he had food in mm-hmm. a home, but had little to zero money, actually. I mean, very little actual cash at all. If he had any medical issues, if it was anything he needed to buy, he didn't have any money. And I said, and it was almost like having a conversation with someone in Boone, but in a Jamaican context, of right. course. But I said, well, why don't you go? There's a lot more jobs down the mountain in the cities. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, why don't you do that? And his and he goes, because the air is better here. Yeah. And it was like, he nailed it. Yeah, totally. And it's like, I mean, in Jamaica and some of the cities, the air is way, really bad. <laughs> uh, but yes, you know, you could go in the city and have the urban coffee experience. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. And you could go to a city and get a job and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's some of us where we can't do that. Right. And it's not that it's wrong, but we just can't do it. And it's stubborn. It's so (laughs) stubborn. Yeah. Because we're dragging our families along. Yeah. And we're not necessarily doing exactly what we're great at. Right. We're accommodating this lifestyle to make it work. In order to have the healthy friendships, healthy lifestyle. Exactly. But maybe not the paycheck or the exact job description. Exactly. And what I'm hearing and what what you're talking about on your origin trips as well as the community here is what if we can have both, right? Like what if we can be in a landscape we love in a community of people that we love and maybe it doesn't have to mean we can't have a job that's fulfilling, right? Maybe there can be a job that does pay the bills and you actually enjoy doing right. That's consistent with mountain community life. Exactly. And you're not only wanting to provide that here in Boone, but provide it for those farmers and those uh, labor workers, the pickers. The That's pickers. the thing about this thing. <laughs> you nailed it, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, so what's the... Let's try to simplify... Let's wrap it up and try to simplify coffee. Sure. Without sacrificing depth. So you went into the the deepness of the bean and the roasting and the farming and sum this up for us. What What is coffee? Why does it matter? Why is it that we... It's arguably the one thing that brings us all together. 
Right. Not I know not everyone drinks coffee, but a whole bunch of people drink oh, coffee. Yeah. Why is that a thing that brings us together? Try to try to wrap this all up for us and simplify all this. Why do you do what you do? Why does Hatchet exist? Why do we all drink coffee? Sure. Why do we want to be together? Coffee is so personal. Mm. So it's even dangerous to define what it is <laughs> because I wasn't there when you were sitting on grandpa's lap while he was drinking his coffee and I don't know what the can looked like that he got that out of. But I do know that you have a very deep experience with coffee and I have the same, but those experiences aren't the same. And collectively, we all have this relationship with coffee, even if we don't drink it, that is buried deep in us. Yeah. And so something about that keeps bringing us together, whether it is a coffee shop or a church or just two people mm -hmm. at home or a grandfather and a grandson. Yeah. yeah. Um that thing is so simple. It's just yeah. a beverage to get us caffeinated. But because of all of the sensual aspects of it, mm -hmm. it, uh, it connects all of us on so some level. Good. It's, they say that your sense of smell is your strongest and most connected with your memories. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you get a note of lime or of this or that, and you actually are tapping into your sense of smell is hitting a memory with grandpa. Right. And so coffee ends up just being a catalyst to tell stories or a catalyst to listen to stories, which really just gets to the heart of why we want to live here and be in community is to know one another. And well. that story can be as simple as you replaying the story of that memory. Oh, that, you telling yourself the story. Exactly. Yeah. And getting and to know yourself it. more. The silence. Um, of it. This the, is so good. The other thing is, so that to me is what's happened on a fundamental level. And I think the reason coffee is so special is because it is so dynamic that we have just started in discovering what you can do with coffee. When you're talking about a palette, a palette to paint with mm -hmm. coffee is almost unlimited in terms of the style of experience you want to provide and in a, in a medium you could be creative with. So you can create new experiences or you can really turn up experiences we're all nostalgic about. Mm -hmm. But it just becomes a great medium to connect with new people who you don't know yeah. who would come into our shop. Right. And it could be that little bit of latte art. Yeah. It could be a new signature beverage where we combine oh, yeah. a juice and a coffee. I walk in and there's a new thing you guys th thought of and I'm like, how did you invent this thing? It's yeah, so and it's good. just like unlimited potential yeah. to take advantage of like, hey, I've never met you and you've never yeah. been here. But try this. And then from then on, like it started with that. Yeah. But now I'm getting to know you and your family and why you came to Boone and all of that. So it's pretty powerful tool right. to be able to break down walls. And no matter what, be like, hey, I see you human. I'm human too. And that's what we all Let's want. Let's get to know each other. Yeah. We all want that. And so we should all be willing to give that and offer that to others. Absolutely. Man, this is so good. Thanks for this conversation. I, I know just because we're friends, we've talked about so many more things other than just coffee. And so maybe another time we can do another podcast and talk about another topic. But, sure. Or, or maybe even more nuanced things with coffee and both and and do a bunch. And hopefully we'll have opportunity to do that. 
so thanks for for doing this. Yeah, I've learned thanks so for much. Having me. Yeah, even in addition to what we've already talked about, I just learned so much more just yeah. now. Uh, all right, well, thanks for listening to Concept for Coffee with Jeremy Jeremy Bullman. Go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things. <laughs>